Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Wednesday edition is here across the Outkick network with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Big show plan, Dan Dockage of Outkick.com. Don't at me across the Outkick network each morning. He joins us today at 3.30 Central, 4.30 Eastern. Uh, looking forward to that visit. Plus, Brad Lampley. Aside from being like the best lawyer in uh, the state of Tennessee, in the South, he happens to be our attorney for the show, which is awesome. He's also the chairman of the TransPerfect Music City Bowl. He will be in studio with us to talk the business of bowl season. Uh, looking forward to that. That's uh, in the final hour today. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Brian Lampley handled our latest negotiation, and after that process, he will not be handling our future negotiations. (laughs) That is also official word. He will probably confirm that when he joins us. Excited about today. Excited about Dan Dockich joining us, I guess, for the first time as a full-on OutKick employee with Don't At Me Since he was in the studio with us, yeah. So we'll we'll talk some college basketball, and we'll do that quite often with Dan on this show. It's going to be a fun show. What's up, Polly? Bad basketball to talk about from uh, from a Local angle, too. Brutal. Two poor local showings last night that were uh, tough to watch, to put it mildly. Yeah, six for 40 from three uh, was Tennessee in that game. And and these weren't all forced bad shots. There were a lot of wide open or open looks. Had a wide open look to win it. Had a wide open corner three that would have won the game also. Uh, it, was a, it was a bad shooting performance. Uh, there's no other way around it. It's going to happen. I don't know that it's going to happen that often where it's that bad, but a lot. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's bad. Tennessee, uh, does Tennessee have an inside presence? They have someone that you can throw the ball into and if go get a bucket. Did, when you, when you go into throwing. a drought, just get to the rim as much as possible. That person was um, uh, John Fulkerson, but it's not him right now. For the life of me, I don't understand why five-star Brandon Huntley Hatfield played four minutes in that game. He clearly is in the doghouse for some reason, um, but he would be the guy that you should be able to throw it into that could go get a shot. I'll also say that they weren't going to get any foul calls down low. Neither was Texas Tech. So shots down low were almost more difficult than open looks from three. Neither team could hit uh, Texas Tech a little bit better, but neither team could hit an open look from three. It was an ugly game. I mean, it was an ugly game that they're, they're six for 40 from three and they go to overtime and had a chance to steal one shooting that poorly. So crazy. I tuned in late and I was glad. I recorded and uh, started late and fast-forwarded through uh, a bit of it, and uh, I was glad that I fast-forwarded. And the, 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 my watch time was about an hour that I spent watching that game, which was better than people that were trying to watch it live through all the breaks and everything else. Dockage with us in an hour and 20 minutes. Looking forward to that chat. Shout-out to Jacob Swanson, Jonathan Moulton, uh, Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant. 
David Reed is the chairman of the board. Uh, Houston released one of their star players today, the Texans. And it's not Sean Watson. Uh, it's Zach Cunningham. They've, they've waived him uh, after uh, he has uh, not once but twice needed disciplinary action for things behind the scenes. I found that humorous given the fact that their star quarterback hasn't played all year uh, because he's demanding to be traded, doesn't want to be a part of the team, uh, but yet they allow him to sit around and make $10 million as an active player on their roster. Um, Only- Zach Cunningham is a legit linebacker, and he just signed an extension. Speaking of trying to compare the two, he signed a $58 million extension last year and the Texans have said goodbye to him today for nothing in exchange. He's only due, I believe, $300,000 the remainder of this year, which makes him a really nice waiver claim. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, I, I know a lot of people in, in Nashville are intrigued by him. I think the Titans are as low as like 28th after you sort through tiebreakers in the waiver order. And they're still beat up at, uh, at inside linebacker. David Long didn't practice today from reports out there. But I, I don't think he makes it to the Titans. I think it'd be a pretty high waiver claim, uh, be on somebody's a bad another bad team's roster tomorrow or later this afternoon, or tomorrow. Uh, not somebody as good as as the Tennessee Titans, an eight and four team. Um, I wish the bad teams would allow the teams that don't really have much of a chance would allow a player to filter down to the teams that he could actually make an impact on for playoff purposes, <laughs> just selfishly. And it's not, a, I mean, I understand what you're saying about Deshaun Watson. It's not a good look to be late multiple times for any any team. But that's awfully harsh discipline uh, for for one of the better guys on your very bad team. So he was late to COVID testing the day of the game, and they benched him. He also was benched for a quarter or a half earlier for missing or being late to something else. I would think an so it's incremental a response issue incremental responses there's something between the last punishment for being benched for a quarter and then being cut seems like that's exponentially worse um and uh, you know look they're cleaning house they're cleaning house but you just signed him like you're saying hot that's a foundational piece let's speculate he probably doesn't get along so well with the new coaching staff it's probably outwardly questioning some of the decisions or things going what was on. What the timing of this And they contract? don't, they don't want a malcontent around if they're going to keep their jobs. What was the timing of this contract? Was it within the last year? Yes. Last, so, I mean, last year, they gave, they gave the extension to him. Since the new regime, is it? Or before? Uh, before. Okay. So he signed. Well, Casario they, was there, right? Well, Casario was there. If Casario's there, I mean, they knew who they were signing. He knew he was, who he was signing with. Things certainly can go south. But it's a weird move. We've seen it in Nashville a number of times. John Robinson knew he was signing when he signed Josh Reynolds, he thought. And then he gets them. This happens multiple times. They get there with the coaching staff. It doesn't mesh. And one side wants out or both sides want out. I'm guessing Zach Cunningham, while a good player, did not get along with his coaching staff, didn't buy into what they were preaching, and they decided to get rid of him because it's better to not have someone you deem as a cancer around the rest of your team if you're trying to build something. And there is one worse place he could land, certainly in terms of record, but in terms of playoff elimination, there's nowhere worse. I I find it funny that the Texans are releasing him with five games to play and over half of their roster is on a one-year contract. I mean, all their free agents that signed this past year on a one-year deal, uh, they're building something. They're rebuilding again after this season anyway. And they're just going, they're sending a message to guys who aren't going to be there next year. Yeah, right. You... You, yeah. you, you, and you, who are all on one-year deals, 
watch this. <laughs> you're out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You be, it's you, weird. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just bizarre. It's a message to the league, he, the body of the free agency well, it's in the also, league. Surely there's it's, more you than come just being here and we're not going to stand it's, for this. It's hilarious that they that you grandstand to this level. Right. That my team's on the field now. I'm getting rid of all the problems <laughs> with this team, which is easy to do when you're vying for the number one no pick doubt. right now. No So doubt. does anyone really believe, <laughs> yeah, I'm a really good player on this team. And I, I am now, I have the fear of God in me that they're cutting Zach Cunningham knowing I could be next, knowing full well that if this team has four wins next year or five, they're not going to be cutting guys who can contribute. And if they're signing this is a one-year thing. If they're signing any legitimate free agents after this year, the reason they're going to Houston is, surprise, surprise, cash. Cash on hand, it's that's right. It's a one-year reprieve. Well, that's the only reason you go to Houston right now is yeah. cash. And I get like uh, you want to you want leaders who lead by example. Uh, they also need players who play well and uh, guys you look up to on the field because they perform. Zach Cunningham is one of those players defensively. He's not just a good linebacker. He's a top tier linebacker in the NFL. He's very good. And now they just waived him. I mean, this is the equivalent of Odell Beckham Jr. being available for a defense. He's very good. He's better than that, I'd and, say. And uh, well, I'm talking like just a guy that you don't have to trade for. He's just available. That if yeah. he hundred dollars the waiver he's, claim he's, he's been be. waived. Odell was a free agent, I believe. But um, yeah, that he's available to be claimed. You know, and that's it's bizarre and it's unusual for this time of year to have a player of that caliber available on the waiver wire. Jeff Lebby, offensive coordinator, play caller for Ole Miss, is headed with Brent Vettables to Oklahoma. So they have their defensive-minded head coach, and now they have their offensive mind and quarterback guy there in Oklahoma with the Sooners. They were a package deal that was rumored together whenever Venables was first mentioned for the job. Whenever Lincoln Riley took USC, turns out to be true. Levy is headed to Norman, Oklahoma. Well, now the hiring of Brent Venables, to me, makes a lot more sense when you package him with Jeff Levy. Reports are he's going to make a little more than $2 million a year as offensive coordinator. He'll be one of the highest-paid coordinators in all of college football. He's an Oklahoma guy, went to Oklahoma, makes a lot of sense for Jeff Lebby. Certainly Brent Venable's first-time head coach, needing a head coach of the offense. Jeff Lebby can be that for you. It's a no-brainer for Oklahoma. It's, it's a great move, and I think it helps set Brent, uh, Brent Venables up for success now that they have their offensive head coach. So uh, you guys said right right from the start, Lebby uh, uh, seemed like a luxury, right? Uh, for yeah. for, uh, for Ole Miss, Kiffin. yeah. And, and for, for him to give up play calling power, he, got, he played the contract extension game, Kiffin, um, and now getting that contract uh, extension, does it come with him now becoming the play caller? You would presume it does. Well, th- this is his first opportunity to have full control as the play caller. And he has also, I mean, he worked very well with Matt Corral, as did Kiffin, uh, but he gets credit there too. He worked with Dylan Gabriel uh, at uh, UCF, and now he gets a chance to work uh, with Caleb Williams at Oklahoma. So um, Lebby is a coordinator I would want to play for, based on what I've seen at Ole Miss and what the other coaches have said about him. There's been no further indication of this Caleb Williams going to the portal which was an initial whisper when we heard about Riley potentially going to LSU. We haven't heard a peep about that since the Riley to LSU thing didn't happen. Well, Jeff Levy's first call needs to be to Caleb Williams. 
when he takes this job, the first recruit you need to land is Caleb Williams to stay and, and not transfer to USC with Lincoln Riley. That, that, that's going to be priority number one for a number of those offensive guys he was, at Oklahoma. He was um, Heupel's quarterback's coach, and Heupel was a teammate of his, right, at Oklahoma. Yep. And so he was Heupel's quarterback coach at, at, at Central Florida. He is the son-in-law of Art Bryles, Jeff Levy. So there are a lot of coaching connections that he has. I'm interested to see what he does with his offensive staff because this is Venable saying, Levy comes in, you control the offense, set up the staff the way you want. But he has a, plenty of offensive connections, let's put it that way, as they piece together this staff. Um, Ohio State doing the same thing with its staff. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, uh, is he is agreed to become the Ohio State defensive coordinator. And that is a big upgrade. He's going to stay on for the bowl game, it sounds like. But will then join Ohio State's defense. This is an Oklahoma State defense that ranked fourth in yards allowed per game. Ohio State, 98th. This is a massive upgrade in play caller uh, for Ohio State and Ryan Day. Now, did Ohio State have co-defensive coordinators? Kerry Combs. Kerry Combs was the defensive coordinator away. and was removed from that. He was removed. He had his yes, play calling responsibilities season. removed. And now they go hire Jim Knowles, uh, former head coach at Cornell and uh, defensive coordinator extraordinaire at Oklahoma State. It's, a, it's great. I mean, that, you want to talk about two big-time coordinator moves yesterday and today? Jeff Levy to Oklahoma on offense and Jim Knowles defensively uh, to Ohio State. It's big for both those programs. And those covering Oregon are mentioning two names in particular, Chip Kelly and Brian Harson. Um, if you read the papers, if you read those covering the team from Twitter, those are the two names uh, for the next head coach of Oregon that continue to be circulating. Uh, Brian Harson, of course, coached to Bo- Boise State. Spent a year now at Auburn, but if you look around the SEC West, and if you're on board with what we just saw from Lincoln Riley, you want to head back to the West Coast and jump into a conference and get a chance to coach at Oregon with uh, the, the Phil Knight money. That could be intriguing. Also, Chip Kelly at UCLA, he should want to get back to Oregon. If they at go this get point Chip Kelly, though, I mean, aren't a lot of people setting themselves up for disappointment there? If you're looking back to what was his five or six year run when he was an up and comer and cutting edge, and people, it's been a long time since that. People have caught up and figured out. What he, how to defend what he was doing, and and almost every offense now has an element of what he was doing is a whole different game than when Chip Kelly was a cutting edge guy at Oregon. If you're an Oregon fan, thinking, "Wow, Chip Kelly's coming back," well, you're going to really be in for a different different thing. Since, um, I mean, they they've always gone internal with their hire yeah. at Oregon. Not always, they but like the, the lineage since Kelly has been an internal, like, on-staff guy. So the, the, the question would be, are they willing to go outside the box and get a guy like a Harson? Well, Cristobal is the exception. Um, yeah. Elfrich was first. Well, yeah. Taggart, Taggart was the first Taggart, external hire. Cristobal. So here's what's crazy. And they both stayed for only two With years. all this Phil Knight Nike money... And Oregon being, they've been in two national championship games the past 12 years. Resources out there. Why is it a springboard job for people? Why is that not a destination well, job? And I, I think, I, I think the issue comes number one down, reason is location. That's why you got to get someone from the area. Yeah. Because the two guys they went outside the area, Willie Taggart 
and Mario Cristobal couldn't stand it and had to get back to where they're more familiar. Somebody who they likes both, Ray. They both pivoted to the Southeast, and they're taking over, really taking over two programs that haven't been all that relevant in two decades. When you look at what Willie Taggart left for Florida State and now what Mario Cristobal is doing at Miami, so Justin Wilcox would be the baseline, a guy who played for your program, who's head coach at Cal. He's also 15 and 25 in the, in the Pac-12 in his time there, but he's known as a defensive mastermind. you got to pair him with the right offensive coordinator. Another name that's getting a lot of traction is Kalani Sataki, the head coach at BYU. Now, his AD went on BYU Sports Nation last night and essentially said, we're working at a contract extension. He's our coach. He's going to be our coach for a while. We're discussing how long he's going to be here right now. It looks like he's going to get the raise in the extension of BYU. How much better a program. Oregon said the same thing about Cristobal. They floated out their big extension, yeah, too. Yeah. How so, much I mean, better a program is Oregon than BYU in terms of what you can do there, resources you have, Phil Knight? Well, you also got to factor in uh, not that much, honestly, because BYU is going to the Big 12. So they're about to be a Power 5 team also. And BYU has national appeal because of the Mormon connection. They've got their own TV network. They have a BYU network. I mean, that's, you know, that's not in every house, not in every market. But BYU is an attractive job, just like Oregon. But it's crazy that Oregon can't hire from outside the West Coast or someone who's familiar with Oregon and keep them there. Oregon does That's seem very, like it should be a more desirable job. It should job not be a springboard job for no. someone. But Cristobal's connection was Miami. He was the offensive coordinator for Taggart in 2017. I mean, whenever Taggart left, Cristobal was then elevated to head coach. Uh, they've always looked from someone on their staff. Uh, except for Taggart, which was odd for them. But Harson, uh, Harson's an easy connection to make. If you're looking for somebody who wants to get back there, you want to talk about springboard, and he wants to spring back there potentially. situation right now. Um, but Chip Kelly also makes sense if you're looking to get back what you had and you know, you know what he's like internally. So Well, yeah, so it went from Rich Brooks for, I think, 14 years to Mike Bellotti, who was a coordinator yeah. for him, from Mike Bellotti to Chip Kelly, yes. who was a coordinator from him, from Chip Kelly to Mark Elfrich, who was a coordinator from him. And now the missteps are, not really a misstep with Cristobal because he did well there Taggart. in his four years. Taggart, clearly not a fit after one year, desperate to get out. Right. And then Cristobal. So now do they revert back to someone they know like a Chip Kelly or a Justin Wilcox? Coming up, the NFL is a passing league but it is a short passing league. We'll explain. It, ratings are up. I mean, the, the, the massive television numbers for the, the league just continue to rise. We'll give examples. But it doesn't necessarily equate to great football. There's been a lot of sloppy play, especially over the last month and a half. We'll explain all of that straight ahead on Outkick 360. First, though... If you're traveling to a destination where you don't know the language, there's Babbel. Babbel.com. It can be challenging to accomplish even the simplest of tasks when traveling outside of the country. But here's Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Through Babbel's bite-sized lessons, you learn a new language skill and skills that you can actually use in the real world from greetings, menus, and directions, gaining a deeper understanding of the culture. Babbel is a travel essential. And Babbel's 15-minute learning lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective, and with Babbel, 
You can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. So many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, video stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code OUTKICK360. That's Babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code OUTKICK360. Babbel, language for life. NFL games are 47 of the top 50 television programs since September across the country. The league sends these out annually. Really, that number is no surprise. If you're curious about the other two games, uh, the other one, there's two college games, Ohio State, Michigan, and then the SEC championship game with Georgia and Alabama, and then the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Those are the other three. The other 47 include the National Football League. There are eight NFL markets currently averaging over a 30 rating for their team's home games. Welcome back to OutKick 360 across the OutKick network from 6th and Peabody in Nashville. That doesn't necessarily mean for the NFL being a passing league and high-powered offense, the rules are set up for offense, that it's really good football. In fact, there's a lot of sloppy play across the league. The NFL's touting their close games, but I'm here to tell you, for all these close games, and they're at a record high for close finishes, there are a lot of blowouts if you really dig into the numbers. They're going to promote what's positive. There's a lot of negative in the league right now, too. For the, the, the passing league that the league touts, they averaged 6.91 yards per pass attempt over the last five weeks. Think about that. A league that's deep passing, uh, receiver-based, big-arm quarterbacks. Not uh, we, we ripped Kirk Cousins for dinking and dunking. He is the league right now. 6.9 yards per pass attempt. That doesn't mean there aren't big plays, but these quarterbacks aren't throwing deep. They're throwing short, and the receivers are then doing the rest. Well, I think you said the last five weeks? Last five weeks. Yeah, big contributor to that. Uh, Kyler Murray's number one in this category at 8.9. He's missed three to last uh, three to last five weeks. And the bottom barrel guys in this stat are usually the young guns, Trevor Lawrence, Zach uh, Wilson, Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, who's a, a old warrior standout here, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts. He's been out hurt too. But uh, Kyler Murray's absence certainly hurts there. I wonder if there's been uh, fewer pass interferences during this course of action. I do think one thing that you raised early, Hutton, in terms of the close games blowouts, uh, one thing you raised early that stayed relatively true, it's leveled off a little bit. I think our view is probably skewed about close games and blowouts because they've gotten pretty fortunate on primetime games. Yes. No, that's true. You know, you get the 14-10 game on Monday night, much anticipated, yep. touted as a game of the year, and well, two good teams, and it's a good game. And so there may have been three big blowouts on Sunday that we didn't pay as close attention to, but the primetime games are 14-10 compelling well, but, game. But I, and so we remember that one. Well, again, good game or close game? Close. Not a to good me, game. To me, they're almost always the, the same. 
The tension well, at the okay, end is the thing that keys it for him. You just got done talking about how a game that went to overtime on a three in the last 30 seconds that tied it was a terrible basketball game. Okay. Exception. <laughs> oh, there's, there's but plenty. But I'm saying, of- like, you know, either you like offense or you don't, and that's part of the drive force. If you like offense, that was a terrible game on Monday Night Football. It was close. We talked about it being strangely compelling. Just like the Tennessee-Texas Tech well, game was, I guess, strangely compelling because neither team could hit a shot. Look, for 10 I, minutes. I, I love football. I'm going to watch college and pro as much as possible, no matter what's going on. Uh, so I, I'm the wrong person here. I, I, I appreciate the game itself, but uh, and it, they're, they're not lying to us. There have been 26 games to this point through week 13 that have been decided by seven points or less. I take that back. I take that back. Not seven points or less. 26 games that have been decided on the final play. So that's so, an great. enormous number. That's that is, great. That's the most all time through week 13, but it doesn't equate to great football because there have been close games of the last two weeks. And I just went back over the last two weeks and pulled numbers, but you can go back all season in this. I think the, the, the game itself is sloppier now than what we may have seen, uh, seven, eight, a decade ago, uh, years ago, because, uh, the rules are set up for certain things. They're not practicing nearly as much. Guys are babied across this league, and yeah. that's just a fact. And hurt. Uh, they're hurt. They're banged up because they're not practicing and doing very much during training camp. They're not doing much in preseason games. They treat those preseason games like a scrimmage. Sometimes the scrimmages are more valuable to teams than an actual preseason game would be on a Saturday or Sunday leading up to the regular season. Uh, week 12, which was Thanksgiving week, Five games were decided by 15 or more points. Ten by a touchdown or more. Eight teams in Week 12 allowed three or more sacks. So offensive line play is just down. 13 of the 30 teams that played turned the ball over two times or more. Now, some of these games were close games in the end, but it also featured some really bad football in between all of that. Now, because the the game's close, the NFL's going to say the league's never been better. Week 13, 10 of the 28 teams that played gave up at least three sacks. This is last week. 10 of the 28 teams turned the ball over at least two times. Seven teams had three turnovers or more. And uh, luckily for the Titans, they didn't play. Nine games were decided by 10 points or more last week. Baltimore... Uh, and only uh, Baltimore, only three games were decided by a field goal or less. And then Baltimore's close games are really helping their whole game-winning stat because the Ravens are included in a lot of these weeks that the NFL's touting. I'd say I, I think you could couch some of that. We'd have to break it down more granularly. But are they giveaways or are they takeaways? You know, a really good interception you could praise as good good football. It's not necessarily bad football. Now, some of these interceptions we've seen – Locally, you know, we've we've talked about some are just bad. You're throwing it to a linebacker right. who's sinking, and you say that's a terrible offensive football play. But we've seen some interceptions lately that are just really good. Who was it? Somebody towed the line, and it didn't even go to review immediately. It looked like in one of these primetime games, like there's no way he's in bounds. And then they came back and he said, "You don't even need to challenge that. That guy remarkably kept his toes in on on Sunday." So. You know, some of it's bad football. Some of it's great football. It's just if you're looking at it offensively or defensively. Well, let's just compare it to last year. And and just, uh, again, tight games decided on the last play most all-time we've seen. There have been 123 games to this point that have been decided by seven or more points. The league's not going to tell you that. 
because last season to this point, only 112 games have been decided by seven or more points. There are some really bad teams. Yeah, and that's really, it in surpri- right now. really surprising based on the parity. I wonder how much the Jets, the Texans, the Lions, and the Jags are contributing to that. Yeah, but even every year there are really bad teams. I think there are just some really awful teams this year all at once. They're the have and the have-nots, right? Fewer than usual, though. I mean, but yet, also in the AFC, you don't. And I, I like the fact that all the teams uh, at the top have eight wins. But that also means they've all lost some games they shouldn't have yep. to some really bad teams along the way. Um, last season, through thirteen weeks, eighty-three games decided by ten or more points. This year, ninety-eight. So basically, one extra game per week okay. is decided by ten or more points. And if you look at these Vegas spreads. Very rarely do you find on FanDuel more than one game decided by 10 or more points as they kick off. But you had 98 games decided by 10 or more this year. I think, uh, I think one of the big things here is our eyes are just drawn to the good games, right? So yeah. I'm a little I, bit surprised by this because at the end of the day, but when the blowout's happening, we look away from that and we look well, to the I'll, good ones. I'll and then we little, come in here and we talk about what the good ones were. I'll go a little bit more meta with this because that's 47 of 50 television programs that's NFL. The NFL is the last FDR fireside chat. All of America get around and watch something together that's out there. We want it. With the streaming wars, with everything else we want right to our phone, right when we want it and only when we want it and not with other people partaking in at the same time, it's really the last great gathering post on Sunday afternoons and Sunday nights. And then occasionally on Monday nights also where everyone gets together and there's a community of watching the same thing. I mean, when you're dominating television ratings to that extent, that's what that tells me. It, college football is the same way, but there's so many different options, so many different games. A little bit more regional. That yeah, it spreads the wealth a lot more. Speaking of spreading the wealth or not spreading the wealth, when people ask why do you always see the Cowboys in prime time or in the national game or always hear about them on national shows, here's why. Top ten games this year. Cowboys Raiders, thirty seven point eight million. Thanksgiving. That's almost ten million more than second place. Which by the way, guess what? It's Dallas versus Kansas City. Cowboys also the fifth biggest game, the eighth biggest game, the ninth biggest game. Cowboys appearing in that many games in the top ten. That's why the Cowboys are on national TV. I was thinking of this the other day. You were talking about Cowboys averaging like 30 million, I think. And I thought I saw Alabama, Georgia, which, I mean, plenty of people outside of college football country even would watch that a championship game knowing those teams are going towards the college football playoff. And I think that got 15, half as much as the Cowboys game. Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, 14.8, I think was the number. I mean, it's it's just, it's ridiculous when you think about it. But here's your top five for the year. Uh, Cowboys, Vegas, and then Cowboys, Kansas City. Um, Tampa Bay, New England. Brady's return to Foxborough is number three at 26.9 million views. Chicago and Detroit on Thanksgiving Day on Fox, 26.7. Brutal. And then Dallas and Tampa Bay, uh, the NFL kickoff, 24.8 million. But that Chicago-Detroit tells you a little bit about the window. 
That's Thanksgiving morning. You could put any terrible uh, a little game bit about the window. That's that. everything about the window. Yeah. yeah, I talked about the gathering post. That's it on Thanksgiving Day. That's why two of the top five, right? Number one by a mile by nine million viewers is that late afternoon Cowboys. Well, that's Raiders a combination game. of the window and, and the team. Game. So you got Dallas. It was a great game. Oakland, which is another big fan base. Great game. Great window. Yeah, Yeah, Vegas. Sorry. But plus, yeah, it was a great game. So that had it all. Uh, Too many penalties. NFL market with the largest local rating. You like to guess. I can guess number one. Again, they're averaging over a 30. Uh, I'm going to guess all of Western New York watches every Bills game. I'm going to guess. That's usually number one every year. Number one's Buffalo. 46.2 is what they average. 46.2. 46.2. You have further list? Kansas City, number two at 44.8. Uh, Milwaukee, which is Green Bay, at 41.3. New Orleans, fourth at 39. And they're watching some bad football lately. And Cleveland, 36 and a half. Here's the rest of those eight that are averaging over 30. Pittsburgh, Seattle, and Boston. I mean, Seattle, you've got to give it to Seattle and and New Orleans because they are sticking with bad football. Yeah. They are not turning well, off teams that are tanking. I mean, just thinking about some of those in the top Buffalo, nothing to do but watch the Bills on a Sunday, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, Kansas Wisconsin. City, not an entertainment mecca and a big time Chiefs fan base there. Wisconsin. Seattle's the one that stands out to me in that. Of all the places culturally that I would think would not watch football every Sunday, plus a bad and team and be around there plus a bad team and stick with it. It's Seattle, and they're sticking in there. So kudos to Seahawks fans. I wonder if their market is is bigger. Like, does that spread wider because there's nothing else around them? Well, this is just the average households. Yeah, it's the so that's it's a percentage. So doesn't really matter. This is just percentage of households in that market. But the market is the market any bigger when you have no other team anywhere around you? Is, that's a good. You know Where's Nashville? I mean? Denver's market. Bigger because there's no other team around them. Nashville's got Falcons, Panthers, relatively. Uh, yeah, no, Bengals, no diehard relatively Falcons close. or Panthers fans I've met walking no. around the city. No, no, but you know what I'm saying. I'm asking about the the Your size of the market. I mean, I think it's all just the Nashville's market doesn't come close to Atlanta television wise. You're talking about size-wise. I'm talking about the circle on the map. Like, does this yeah. have anything to do with the circle on the map? Because Seattle is shown in a much wider area i think but it doesn't matter because the population I'm it guessing. doesn't matter yeah i mean i honestly i think if you took let's say the buffalo market for instance that number would only increase as you went out like, through all of western new york i think that percentage goes up in the hinterlands of no new way. york in that area of people that even a higher percentage are watching the bills on sunday i would say the same possibly for nashville as if they, if you went out further into Clarksville and you know down into Columbia and I don't know how far it goes but that number probably goes up in the outer outer boroughs would all be included in this but even communities outside just in the region uh, where it would go up that's one thing like hot and it is it is notable by the way we do the show here in Nashville Nashville's not in that that group on the quality of play issue I don't sense people are complaining about the quality of play people complain about the quality of officiating but I don't get much sense in my conversations with people that people are upset about the quality of play. They're upset about injuries, and they're upset about officiating. Well, and just looking at, I, I'm just looking at the numbers. It, what popped out to me is: are, are we actually see, seeing a sloppier product? 
uh, with, I think at with least slightly sloppy. performance. I mean, the, yeah. the top tier player. I mean, for instance, and, and again, we view this as a passing league and a big play league. Patrick Mahomes averaged 5.2 air yards per attempt this past week against Denver. Patrick Mahomes. Like, we're not talking about Teddy Bridgewater on the other side or, you know, Kirk Cousins. I always go back to him because he's the one that's knocked for being the short passer. Uh, which, by the way, uh, Adam Thielen's not going to play for Minnesota tomorrow night on Thursday night football against the Steelers. Yeah, Just throwing missing, that out there for fantasy football players. Um, but you get what I'm saying here. Like, yep. I think the league has gravitated more to a short passing game right now. Well, I looked really quickly at the last five years, just at the top team uh, that average per attempt. The top has been 8.2, 8.7, 8.5, 8.9, 8.5, 8.5 pretty consistent. Bottom, 5, 7, 5, 8, 6, 2, 6, 2, 6, 0. Oh. So the bottom's come up a little bit. The top's been pretty consistent. How about this? I discovered in this. In 2018, worst in yards per attempt, Arizona at 5.8. This year, best Arizona at 8.5 in a four-year turnaround. They've gone from the worst to the and best. Kyler adding Murray. DeAndre Hopkins helps. Yeah, Kyler Murray. And before the, That's b- impressive. Before people jump in and say, oh, they were playing Denver's defense, so that was the scheme. Mahomes has averaged 4.7 yards per attempt this season. Again, I said the average was 6.7 this season for quarterbacks. He's two yards below the average throwing the football. That's, that's crazy. That tells you. And I talked about this from early in the season. They need a third weapon because people can Yeah, but sit. when you think of Mahomes, what do you think of? Yeah, you think of freelancing. Slinging it all and, over the place. And Hill and Kelsey. But they haven't been able to do it the way they've done it. And they're relying on defense. They've changed. They've, they've evolved. And they really need, I bet you, I would guarantee they draft a, a hot shot weapon because they need three rather than two to make that offense really go. And God forbid they suffer an injury. Also, right. that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not panned out. The no. um, SEC Player and Coaches of the Year is out. Alabama has Offense, Defense, and Special Teams Players of the Year. Okay. Bryce Young, Offensive Player of the Year. Will Anderson, Defensive Player of the Year. Jamison Williams, Special Teams Player of the Year. But he shares that honor with Valus Jones Jr. from Tennessee, nice. who's also the Special Teams Player of the Year. Freshman of the Year is Brock Bowers from Georgia. Scholar-athlete Tyler Beatty from Missouri, from Memphis, Tennessee. The blocking award winner for offensive lineman is Darian Kennard from Kentucky. Coach of the year, Kirby Smart from Georgia. Coming up, primary complaint is next on OutKick 360. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network for Outkick 360 as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. My primary complaint this week is about a time-hearted tradition. And a time-hearted tradition is primary complaint each and every Wednesday at this time. Guys, I'll kick it off. The, The Dr. Pepper halftime show at the SEC Championship game, there will be others. A time-honored tradition where we see students battle for tuition. You know, you throw the football through the plastic Dr. Pepper display, and the winner gets tuition paid for. Tradition unlike any other. Um, I would be all for this tradition, except for the fact that Dr. Pepper backs, not bans, but backs the chest pass in this competition. If you're going to have a football toss or a football throw, 
You cannot make an entry pass as though you're playing on the hardwood into the post and chest pass this thing through. Ban the chest pass for a football throwing game. That's my primary complaint. I like that rule. Uh, my primary complaint this week involves Cincinnati. A lot of people have a lot of problems with Cincinnati. A lot of debate around the Cincinnati Bearcats. Should they be in? Did they get hosed? Uh, not to get hosed. Did other schools get hosed because they're not in? But my complaint is not about the Cincinnati Bearcats. It's the fact that I, along with everyone else I've talked to about this problem, can't spell Cincinnati every time they put it down on paper. There is something about the spelling of the city of Cincinnati that no matter how you spell it, it always looks incorrect. I'm a very good speller. I once won a fifth grade geography B. I'm very good when it comes to academics is what I'm saying. I'm an excellent speller. I know how to spell city names, but for whatever reason, every way that I write out Cincinnati always looks wrong. My beef is not with the Cincinnati Bearcats. My beef is with the difficulty of the spelling of the city of Cincinnati, and that is my primary complaint. It wasn't that long ago that war was declared in this country. Artists like Garth Brooks, Eric Church, even Bruce Springsteen, Paul's guy, declared war on ticket scalping in the secondary market. But they're oddly silent now with what's going on with Ticketmaster, which is the exact same thing. On Ticketmaster, if there's a high demand in their dynamic pricing model, the ticket prices go up from what they were. That is ticket scalping. That is what the secondary market has been doing for years, meeting the higher demand with higher prices. Where are these guys? Where's your, where's your guy, Paul? Defend your boy. Where's Bruce Springsteen right now declaring war against Ticketmaster and coming up with some system of his own to combat higher ticket prices? That's my primary complaint. Well, I'll tell you where he isn't. On tour. <laughs> He's probably touring China. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not touring anywhere. Can you imagine it, if he declared war on Ticketmaster? <laughs> um, we will. My primary complaint... Paper tickets everywhere. My primary complaint is EPA. Um, listen, I read a lot of sports writing, and baseball writing is tough to get through because there are so many metrics, and I, I, I can't sort through all of these things. I have to go have a glossary all of the time to figure out what's the, what this abbreviation stands for and what that abbreviation stands for and compute it. And then I don't know what's good, right? I know a slash line, 300, 400, 500. That's, that would be a great slash line. Football's heading the same direction now. Everything's about EPA, expected points added. If you're first and 10 at the 20, 0.7 expected points added there or expected points from there. You throw a 20-yard completion, first and 10 at the 40, that's worth, uh, you should get 2.06 there, and uh, that play's worth 1.36 expected points added, which is great. But do you ever talk about points added? Do we ever talk about the actual points instead of the expected points? I like to talk about what is instead of what may be. Sprinkle it in there, people, but don't overwhelm me. With the analytics, I need some, not all. There's so many numbers to decipher and decode 
I need a book, around the league bookmark right now. with like what everything is and stands for and like what a good number is. It also, really is becoming- all of these numbers need to be based on a hundred or a thousand because if nine hundred's good, like on base plus slugging or whatever, and I forget that 900's good, yeah, then I don't even a, know like right. what a good number is. Standard standard scale. I mean, a standard scale of what the number means. Also, Major League Baseball's in a lockout right now, and does anyone really care? No. Well, we're not missing any games. I, I would like to have some signings. If it pushes up against games, I'll care. I mean, if this was an NFL lockout in the offseason, it's all we'd be talking about. You're right, though. I mean, it becomes a bigger story if we get to April and we're missing games, but it's just crazy to me that they're in the midst of a lockout and not a whisper. If we had one of the 32 head coaches and big game decisions go strict by the computer just to prove that the computer is smarter than the coach, what do you think? They, would that be the case? With all these numbers and analytics? Yeah, there'd be I, no more coaches. I think it might. Have a you, robot. Could you coach a game against, from the computer? I'm from not your against home? analytics, but I need you to spell it out a little bit. Hang with us. Headlines across college football and more next on Outkick 360.